This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor Kathleen Davis. Maybe you've heard it's an essential workplace skill, or that it's just as important as IQ, or that it's a soft skill. Emotional intelligence, EQ, has been a workplace buzzword for years, but what is it really? Some point to the first use of emotional intelligence in a research paper in the 1960s. Others point to the current obsession stemming from a British article in the late 1980s, or American psychologists in the 1990s. At Fast Company, we've covered emotional intelligence for well over a decade, but it still remains a topic that many find confusing. Today's episode is from a LinkedIn audio conversation I had recently with workplace belonging and well-being expert and author of The Color of Emotional Intelligence, Farah Harris. She breaks down exactly what emotional intelligence is and how you can improve your own emotional intelligence to be happier and more successful at work and in your personal life. Take a listen. Bara, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me here, Kathleen. First, let's just define emotional intelligence. What is emotional intelligence and what do people get wrong about it? All right. So emotional intelligence, or we also call it EI or EQ, is the act of knowing, understanding, and regulating and managing your own emotions and recognizing emotions in others. And it's typically comprised of four domains, and that's self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. And so we're going to kind of break down each of those domains as, you know, when I was looking at that and thinking of that, I'm like, okay, two are kind of about yourself and two are kind of about how you relate to other Everyone people. Else. Yeah, exactly. So we'll kind of get into that and break it down a little bit more. I wanted to call out a poll that we did to kind of see what, what everybody thinks emotional intelligence is. So we asked, what does emotional intelligence at work mean to you? And our, the choices were not losing your cool, being empathetic to colleagues, being able to read the room or other, like almost 4,000 people voted in this. And overwhelmingly, it was being able to read the room, got the most votes, 50%, being empathetic, got 36 But one of the comments I thought was really interesting, Emma France said, I'd say it's a mix of all three, knowing when you need to take a stand and make your point, knowing when someone is dealing with a concern and things that may be affecting them within their work environment and being able to pick up on the vibes within a meeting or environment that might influence your approach to a certain subject or even your interaction with that person. Emotional intelligence covers so much. I thought that was such a great answer. What do you think of that? Yes, Emma. It was it was a really plus. yeah a plus for Emma. What was really encouraging when I was looking at the comments was so many people who are like all of the above. Like, why is that mm-hmm. not an option? <laughs> um, and I'm like, you are absolutely right. It's definitely all of the above. And I loved how Emma broke down in a particular example of being able to recognize what is happening in this space and how is it that I'm supposed to show up in this space? Is it the right time? How do I change my tone? Like all the things. Yes, the vibes. <laughs> like, can you read the vibes? Yeah, read the room. And I love that. Like, and then realize how you need to calibrate yourself to to the vibes, you know. To the vibes, yeah. yes. Let's talk about why it's important at work and why it's important in your personal life too. So, yes, I did see a couple of the comments were like, you can leave emotions at the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> why mm-hmm. are we talking about this? And of course, you know, me and my clinician um, background, I'm thinking, hmm, 
What makes you say that? <laughs> let's let's wrong? dig into let's that. Let's dig yep. into that. What's wrong with feelings and emotions? But it, it's it's important because I want to dispel the myth that emotional intelligence is this soft skill. Like it's a nice to have at work when it really is a essential strength skill. You know, I joke around and say that it takes strength to master oneself. It takes strength to humble yourself enough to see another person's perspective. And it takes strength not to cuss somebody out. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. you know you have a colleague or a boss or a direct report that you're like, ooh, I am doing everything in my wheelhouse to not go off on you. And that's important because I think that leads to a future poll question. We can't be going off on everyone because we are not emotionally regulated. And so many things are happening within the workplace that brings up emotions. You know, we are not robots. There are things that are impacting us in and out of work, and it shows up in how we relate with one another. EQ helps us to navigate through change. It helps us to manage stress. And so if we're thinking about building healthy relationships, becoming resilient and agile because of change, and managing stress, we need this skill because all of these things happen at work. You know, so if it's a reorg, if it is 2020 and a, a whole global pandemic hits and we go from working in one way to working a complete different way, how are we managing the stress that comes from that change? Also, we want to make sure that we have healthy relationships at work because this is where we're spending the majority of our days. So having a good rapport, being able to effectively communicate with our team members, with our leads, helps us have a better mood, (laughs) you know, because who wants to go to work stressed out? Not just because the tasks are stressful, but the people are stressful is not the way that we want to work or live. So it's an essential skill, not just to keep the peace, but so that people can show up and perform well, produce well, but also work well. And I'm so glad that you said it's not a soft skill. I always put air quotes around soft skills because it's like, these are the essential skills of work. And like the more and more that we're covering, especially AI and automation and and how that's going to affect our jobs, we just keep hearing, well, the skills that are going to keep you employable, that are going to make you competitive are the skills that only people can do, Mm -hmm. which are things like emotional intelligence. I mean, our Content on bad bosses is the most popular content because everybody has worked with a boss who's not emotionally intelligent. Correct. And that's the biggest barrier to getting your work done. You know, you if you don't have good relationships, if you're a boss that isn't emotionally intelligent, you're going to be losing people. Like for those people that want to know how it affects the bottom line, that's it right there. Right there. Because if you're having people coming in in survival mode because they don't feel safe, they don't trust who they're working with. They're using all of this emotional, what's the word that I'm looking for? Energy, right? Mental energy. So the neuroscience behind it. So we're using all of this mental energy to keep us safe. All of the self-preservation. So we're not using our prefrontal cortex, which is our rational, relational, logical part of our brain. So we're doing less. Because we're operating, you know, from a lesser, in a way, we're not having high EQ in the moment because we're using our lower brain just to survive the workplace. 
And the, the other obvious thing is if you're unhappy at work, you're going to leave your job and then it's going to cost a lot of money to replace replace it. And then you're gonna, just going to keep having that turnover because if you don't have a work environment that is healthy, then yes, you're, you're not going to be successful in general. Yeah. Right. So you mentioned the, the myth that EQ, emotional intelligence, is a soft skill. What are some other myths about emotional intelligence or things that people get wrong about emotional intelligence? Yeah, I love this question because <laughs> I'm like, there's so You're much. You're like, let me let me tell you a lot. Yeah. Right, right. I'm like, let me stretch and get myself ready. <laughs> well, one, that EQ is only a workplace skill. We often talk about it in the career advancement discussions, but this is an essential life skill. Another myth is that you always have it. You know, and I'm like, there's no zenith, right? There's no, like, we don't reach this point where we're just always emotionally intelligent. We have opportunities to practice it, kind of like patience. You know, some of us may be more patient than others, but we always have an opportunity to practice it, like going to the DMV. It's a wonderful place to practice patience and your EQ. Or a reader had asked me this question because she felt, as as she was reading my book, she was like, I'm not sure, are you trying to say that those with high EQ are just always calm and not, quote-unquote, emotional. And I always ask the question behind the question, like, what, what brought that up? And really it was because she viewed herself as very emotional, very tender, a sensitive person. And I think she viewed that as, like, a superpower very much to her identity. And so, in a way, I think there was some shame there, wondering, like, oh, my gosh, if I'm not emotionally expressive— I can't really be me. And if I am emotionally expressive, maybe I don't have high EQ. And I had to highlight, no, it's not that you're always calm, cool, and collected. It's that you don't let your emotions take control and take over you. So it's like if you and I both were driving and someone cuts us off and Kate's like, man, that pissed me off, but I'm heading to work and you go to work. And I go, man, that pissed me off. And then I start chasing the guy <laughs> and, it, and it ensues into this road rage. That's the difference. You know, so practicing high EQ is not that you don't have emotions. It's just that you make sure that you are managing and regulating those feelings. And I like to throw, you know, some grace to everyone and say, you know, you can have a low EQ reaction. Just make sure that you rebound with a high EQ response. Ooh, I love that. A low EQ reaction, but high EQ. Yes. So if you did like lose your cool. If you lost what your would cool. The, what, yeah. Yeah. What would the response be? So an example that I use is, you know, if you're in a meeting and in the meeting you start talking over someone or you cut someone off or you belittled their suggestion because not that they were innovative or creative, but because you, I I say that I am the walking Snickers commercial, like I get hangry. So like, I'm not myself. Oh my God. And so it's like the sugar goes low. So does the Mm -hmm. EQ. Mm -hmm. And so you could be having that moment or you could be stressed out about something completely unrelated to the conversation that's happening at hand. And so in that moment, you are rude, you're unkind, you, you lose your cool. If you become aware of that after the meeting, you reached out to that person and say, hey, Kate, today's meeting, I cut you off and and I dismissed your contribution. I apologize for that. It had nothing to do with you. I'm just under a lot of stress right now. And you didn't really deserve that. And you got the butt end of what I'm experiencing. I apologize. That will create 
a level of trust and understanding and grace (laughs) from your employee like never before because they're going to go, wait, I have somebody who owns up to their stuff, who not only acknowledges what they did wrong, but holds themselves accountable for it. And taking it a step further, the next meeting, you can go like, hey, team, I just want to, you know, highlight something that happened yesterday when I cut off Kate. That was not cool. That's not how I want us to communicate as a team. I've apologized to her personally, but I just want to, you know, apologize publicly to the team. That is a person that is practicing high EQ. They had a low EQ reaction, but they rebounded with a high EQ response. That is so powerful. And that kind of touches on like being a good leader, setting a good example, apologizing, right? Like owning up to, you know, which we've covered a lot too, like the right and wrong way to apologize and owning up to, to your mistakes. I mean, that's something I think about a lot, like as a parent, because you're always Mm -hmm. kind of setting an example and you can't be always setting the great example. And then when Mm. you realize you set the bad example, but sometimes you are, and sometimes you aren't. That is another way of increasing your emotional intelligence, your, your self-awareness. Who do I find it easier mm-hmm. to stay cool, calm, collected, engaged, you know, actively listening? And who do I find it difficult to really sit and listen and be present and not be irritated? I think that's so important, like noticing what your triggers are and like, oh, am I just annoyed with this person, whatever they're, mm-hmm. the thing about them that annoys me, is that actually like a problem or is it just my, I just happen to be annoyed by that and can like notice that and get over it. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. There are four domains that comprise emotional intelligence. Two of them are about you and two of them are about other people. So let's first talk about the two that are about you. Yeah. So self-awareness is where we become emotionally aware. And what is emotional awareness is just being able to be aware of the feelings that you have. And so I like to let people know that more often than not, we feel like sensory, our emotions, before we actually can name them. So like when you think about anger, for those who are listening, like how does anger show up for you in your body? You know, do you get hot, tense? Do you you clench your jaw? For some of us with anxiety, it's like a tightness in our belly, you know, so our bodies often let us know what we're feeling before we even know what we're feeling. So taking a moment to practice the pause and just go, how do I feel right now is how we can increase our self-awareness. And another part of practicing self-awareness that people don't enjoy is the F word, feedback. (laughs) We're all like, okay, it's about to get real on this LinkedIn audio. (laughs) People don't like that. Unless it's like adoration. Like Mm -hmm. give me feedback that is praise, that give me feedback that makes me feel good about myself. But if it's constructive criticism, if it's highlighting things for me that lets me know how I'm landing on other people, ouch, that can be hard. But we can't have self-awareness without a mirror. You know, it's like walking around with spinach on your teeth and you don't know because you won't look at a mirror and there's nothing reflecting back to you how you're showing up. It's so hard to get feedback though, right? Especially like as you move up the ladder, you're a boss, like to get that honest feedback from your employees and you could be like, oh, no one's ever complained. So everybody must like me. How do you get that feedback? Yeah, so ask. <laughs> Sometimes people just don't want to ask because it's it's a hard question. But don't just ask anyone. I'm hoping we are being our authentic selves. So whoever you are at work, 
more than likely may be who you are in your personal relationships. So get someone who's safe to ask this question. How am I landing on people? Am I a good listener? Ask someone who's close to you and ask someone who may not necessarily be close to you, but is a straight shooter. It's not going to feel good, but if you know that Martha does not care, (laughs) you know, she's not there to stroke your ego. Uh, It's not that she's unkind, but it's like, no, do you want it straight? This is how you show up. Do you know why no one talks to you? It's because of this. (laughs) Um, And then self-management is being able to regulate your emotions as we were talking about with change, you know, so it's being able to recognize how we're feeling. It's the going with the flow of what is happening. I like to call it, you know, in the the wise words of Ice Cube, it's the check yourself before you wreck yourself part <laughs> oh, of how, the skill set. How often is that phrase used? That's that's a, a golden nugget one. Yes. <laughs> yes. So before you reply all to that email, Check yourself before you wreck yourself, because I've had many a clients who are like, oh, Farah, if I had just fully read that email, like, yeah, if you had just walked away and came back, if you had just taken a breather, if you had listened to some music, you know, there's different ways that we can regulate our emotions. And even going back to feedback, if people feel like they're not psychologically safe to share feedback with you, it's probably because you don't regulate yourself well when you receive the feedback. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you are immediately deflecting, denying, dismissing, pretty much gaslighting the other person, then, okay, why would I talk to you? Yeah. For those of you who are dog owners, you may appreciate. So to own a dog and to walk a dog well, you don't want the dog to be in front of you. You also don't want the dog behind you because you can't see what it's doing or you just don't have the best relationship with your pooch. You want your dog walking lock and step with you. And I'm like, That is the perfect picture of what EQ is, specifically these domains of self-awareness and self-management. We don't want our emotions to be in front of us because they're in control. You know, we're popping off, we're going zero to 100. We don't want them to be behind us because that may have us show up as passive or passive-aggressive. We want to be lock and step with our feelings in real time so that we're decreasing our reaction time from the moment, and we want that time to be short. We want to be able, in real time, know how we're feeling so we can regulate our feelings. And so the framework for those who are listening that I I think is very helpful is the three A's, which is aware, assess, address. Be aware of what you're feeling, assess how you got to that emotion, then address it in a productive manner. Oh, yeah, that's really helpful to pause and think of those things. And like, as you were saying about the take a break before you send the email sort of thing. It made me think of like another kind of like form of feedback that I've used that I've found helpful in those sorts of situations is, okay, this is what I want to say to this person. I write it out. You know what? I want to get somebody else's opinion before I hit send on that and sent it to like a trusted colleague that like knows what's going on. And then they're like, actually... (laughs) edit it for, you know, like, let's rephrase it like this. I think this would get your point across. I'll write the email. And then I go, how would I write this email if I was my assistant? Because there's some distance there, right? So it's just like, you can literally remove some of the sting and the emotion from the content when you are the other person. And it's like, oh, okay, this is a whole different email once I remove what I've been triggered by, yeah. by, you know, in a way, kind of giving a AI response <laughs> to the person where it's like, ah, yeah, let me slow down. 
I would say it this way, but you know, and, and we've seen like on Instagram, funny reels of how do you professionally say like, this is not my job. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. What's, what's the professional term for that's in- insane. Yeah. Like, right. Totally. Well, we, we've talked about it a little bit. We've alluded to it a little bit. Our last poll that we did was probably our most fun. And I will say, I don't, <laughs> I don't trust these results at all. It was, have you ever yelled at somebody at work? And unless all of our followers are very enlightened, this had 5,700 and some votes. And 70% of people had the right response. There's only one right response, I think, to this. (laughs) And it's no, that's not acceptable. 70% of people said that. One of the reader comments that I wanted to highlight was uh, Rachel Parker said, if you work in a toxic environment with leadership that still assumes the best way to lead is to berate and shame, it's only a matter of time before you and your colleagues start tearing each other apart. There's a difference between having a thick skin and tolerating disagreements versus reacting to vitriol around you in the later context. I've acted like an ass and regret it. Thank you, Rachel, for admitting it. She says, but I was hardly an outlier. It was a wolf's den and I'll never work in an environment like that again. And you had a great response to her. Oof. Yeah. I said, we can often mirror what we see, whether it's good or bad. That's why it's important for leadership in particular to model the type of character and behavior that they want represented in their culture. You can't sit here and say, oh, I want a highly emotionally intelligent work culture. And yet you're the one that's berating, micromanaging, belittling, harassing, bullying Mm -hmm. people. And then you're wondering why team members are doing the same. And I I love how Rachel called herself out Mm -hmm. because I think just as human nature, we see work as primarily a social system. And so we're trying to see where we fit in, How safe are we? What do we have to possibly assimilate in our behavior? And if there's a lot of toxicity and unhealthy communication and behaviors and bad actors, sometimes that residue is on you. And there have been times where people have left toxic environments and unfortunately became the toxicity in the new environment that they went to that was healthy <laughs> until you came along. Um, because in a way, like if you've been surrounded by poop, you know, that stench stays with mm. you. You need to like take a shower, change clothes, burn the clothes, do whatever you need to do. But it's things that we end up learning in neuroscience. It's, it's called mirror neurons. You know, so like when someone yawns, you kind of mm. yawn too. It's like we will mirror what we see. Like if somebody yells at you, you're probably going to yell back, you know? It's just a reaction when voices start to get raised. And then if you're just like, that's the environment that you're in, you assimilate to that environment. And then you're right. Like, then especially if however long you work there, or if it's, you know, one of your first jobs, it's like, oh, this is what work is like now. So let's let's move on to the other two domains, the two that are about other people. Yeah. So there's the social awareness and the relationship management. And so social awareness is being able to meet people where they are, empathizing with them. You know, you're trying to think, sense, and feel what they're thinking, sensing, and feeling. (laughs) The vibes. Yeah. And social awareness and relationship management really go hand in hand. And so relationship management is how we're motivating individuals, inspiring them, uh, energizing them, being influential And I like to always put an asterisk Mm. while not being manipulative because we know very charismatic people (laughs) 
and get you to do what they want you to do. But if it's self-serving, it's it's not high EQ. This is where you're effectively communicating. This is where you are managing conflict well. And so I think about when you need to share some difficult information with your team, can you effectively communicate with them, I understand how this will impact your work? Because sometimes it's just the acknowledgement of their feelings that can bring a sense of ease and safety. I'm a mom of three. So for the parents out there, you may understand and experience this yourself. Your child is having a complete meltdown because you told them it's time to go to bed. (laughs) They were having a great time playing with whatever they were playing with. You can acknowledge their frustration. Hey, I understand I'm asking you to stop doing something you enjoy, but that doesn't change that we have to go to bed, right? So just slowing yourself down to go, I'm understanding that this is going to impact your work. That probably makes you uncertain or scared or frustrated. I want to figure out how I can support you. We still have to do it this way, but is there another way that we can make this lighter, easier, whatever it is? So just acknowledging no employee likes to just be slapped in the face with like, oh, so you came in on Monday. This is what we're doing now. Give them a heads up. And then when you think about the social awareness, I even think about a client that I had where they were doing some remodeling for their office and wanted to do like a pumping room, you know, for for new moms. And in their planning process, they never actually talked to any women. (laughs) (laughs) No, Uh, why would you? (laughs) Why why would we? Because we know we're amazing. We know what you need more than you do. And so they created this room. The new interior design was all glass. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes. And so here they are with this room that literally you can see in. And so this is where the social awareness really kicks in into the workplace, where we have to ask ourselves, what is needed and what is missing in this environment that is actually going to help serve and support those that we have already here and those who have yet to come. So if we're saying, oh man, the pipeline is so difficult for us to find those with certain disabilities, well, maybe they want to apply where you work, but then they've seen that you don't have anything really ready for them. You see that so often whenever there's like a big branding blunder or something. You know, my first reaction, a lot of people's first reaction is like, well, who was in the room when that decision was made and who was not in the room when that decision was made? Who was in the room? Uh, uh, was there anything about relationship management we we missed? I realized we were talking a lot about a social awareness. Well, they go hand in hand. So, you know, for us to be able to empathize and kind of trying to sit in the seat with the other person or next to the person, because sometimes it is just holding space for someone else, still requires you to be in relationship with them. You know, so it still requires you to figure out how do I actively listen to what is going on? How do I communicate well by making sure that they understand that I heard them, right? And even What is it that I can say that can diffuse a potential conflict that could arise? Because those leaders who are doing those poor decisions, you know, where you kind of go like, who was in the room? What made you consider that? Aren't being aware of themselves, aren't managing the emotion that comes up within them, which then makes them less able to show up and serve well for others by being socially aware and relating to them in a healthy way. So we got a great question while we were talking. This is from Rachel, and I'm sorry, Rachel, I'm going to mispronounce your last name, Karwinski. 
She says, when does emotional intelligence become emotional labor? I worry that traditional emotional intelligence frameworks don't take into account DEI concerns and other imbalances of power. For example, the negative emotion of anger could be justified if the workplace is unsafe or otherwise harmful to you or your colleagues. Great question. Also, check out my book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and we, yes, I should say we, we we're dropping in the links to Bifar's book. Definitely, like, this is, we're just scratching the surface here, but uh, yeah. Just scratching the surface. Like, emotional intelligence become emotional labor. That's, yeah. Yes. Um, So we have to make sure that we are recognizing how we're all using our EQ differently, which is pretty much the premise of uh, and the thesis of my book, right? That those who are part of like marginalized communities, whether it's because of neurodivergence, because of age, race, gender, sexuality, that they're using their EQ differently, right? Because they have a heightened level of social awareness because they're constantly reading the room. They're constantly trying to make sure that whoever's in the majority feels safe. But in doing so, you're not necessarily practicing like a high EQ that's not tainted by inequity. You're practicing EQ as a means of survival. So you may not necessarily process that righteous anger in a healthy way. You might quiet that. You might disassociate. You might minimize that in the moment because you don't want to, quote unquote, rock the boat. I heard someone say, uh, I think this is another clinician, a, a video where she's like, you know, I was taught as a child to keep the peace. And then I had to think about whose peace was I keeping because there was a war going on inside of me. And I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> and I was like, mm. So there are so many people who are trying to practice high EQ. Yep. To a certain degree by, you know, trying to be socially aware and it's not reciprocated. So like I'm being aware that in this very male dominated or this very heterosexually dominated Mm -hmm. space or whatever, they have to be comfortable. And I need to figure out how to become in a way a dysfunctional version of myself to create functional relationships. That's not high EQ at its purity. That is practicing certain parts of the skill set for the survival. So what we need to do is collectively increase our EQ so that we don't have people using it as emotional labor, but that people can use it to be their authentic selves safely. Like, yes to so much of that. And I will say, as you're talking and just reading that, I was also thinking for leaders and managers, who are you outsourcing the emotional intelligence to in your office and in the form of emotional labor, right? So I think that happens when we hear emotional labor, we think it's a gender imbalance a lot of the times. And a lot of the managing how people are feeling, making sure that everybody's happy, everything's going well, like falls to a lot of times women in the office mm-hmm. and then it becomes emotional labor yeah. and you're the person that has to worry about how other people are feeling to your own detriment and then kind of letting those other people off the hook to not have to worry about it. Yeah, and and you don't want to do that. (laughs) I think the thing is that we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that we effectively communicate our emotional boundaries. You know, so if someone is doing something that aggresses you, whether it's a racial aggression, uh, sexual aggression or whatever, that you're holding space for yourself. You're making sure that you're processing it, that you're acknowledging the harm that has been done to you, you're creating those verbal boundaries of what you're not going to do, what you will and will not tolerate. And I know that that is not always easy 
or possible, depending on the environment. And it is something where this change can't be done on an individual basis. Like we collectively need to be aware of who's having the emotional labor. Why is it that they're carrying that labor? And what role can I do? What privilege do I have to change that narrative? You really can't practice high EQ without self-care and vice versa. So you and I were talking about both being hangry people. So part of self-care is making sure that you are eating properly, that you're staying hydrated, that you are doing the things that fill your cup, right? And so when we're stressed out, when we are burnt out, we can't use our high-functioning brain to practice high EQ. So we need to make sure that we are caring for our well-being as best as we can so that we can show up as best as we can. And vice versa, we need our EQ to be aware of what are those things that serve us well? What are those things that spark joy so that I can increase those relationships, those recreational activities, those tasks, and decrease the things that don't serve me well, that drain me, the people that may drain me? Do I have to delegate certain things so that I actually am creating in a way this life by design where we're able to have more of what it is that fills our cup? Yes, yes. Thank you again for joining me. This was such a great conversation. And as I said, we just scratched the surface. Yes. Thank you, everyone who joined. This was great. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we want to hear from you. Work is changing every day. What's the most pressing issue on your mind? Email us at podcast at fastcompany.com. The New Way We Work is produced by Joshua Christensen and Julia Shu with editing by Nicholas Torres. Mm-hmm.